Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. Our music's a little different today. You're listening to Paquito de Rivera. Yeah, he was just 10 years old when he wowed the audiences at Cuba's National Theater Orchestra with that saxophone. Over the next 60 years, the sax became his muse. He'd win his first Grammy Award while still living in Cuba in 1979. He played the music the government called the music of the enemy. It was too imperialist, they said. Too American. Paquito fled Cuba. He defected while on tour. And he'd go on to win 13 more Grammy and Latin Grammy Awards. Paquito became one of the world's great musical talents. And not just for one musical art form. He won, for, he won Grammys for jazz and for reimagining classical music. He jazzed up Mozart at the Kennedy Center. He played solos with the London Philharmonic. And he practiced, practiced, practiced all the way to Carnegie Hall, where he was presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award for his contributions to Latin music. He's recorded more than 30 albums and written several books on music. Even a memoir squeezed in there with a title that might make you laugh or blush, My Sax Life. He recently gave his archives to the Cuban Heritage Collection at the University of Miami. And today, he joins us by phone from his home in New Jersey. Bienvenido, Paquito. So I'm here thinking... I'm here thinking of you playing the National Theater Orchestra at 10 years old and still doing it more than 60 years later. What? Yeah, yeah. I have been playing music, so... As far as I remember, I don't remember myself without a saxophone or a, or a clarinet. So I think so far is I had no choice, I, and I love doing it. <laughs> you had no choice, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, My father was also a saxophone player. Your father was a saxophone player. Your father, your father Tito, he was uh, he he became like your uh, he was a musician, but he became your manager also, right? Well, yeah. Kind of, he was my teacher, my everything. Yeah, I, he used to manage me also in the beginning of my career too. <clears throat> we did a couple of uh, international tours to Santo Domingo, Puerto Rico, and New York before BC, before Castro. Right, right. The the great BC, especially down here in in Miami. You know, I want I want to take I want you to take us back just a little bit first. What did it mean to be ten years old, nineteen fifty eight? and playing in front of the National Theater Orchestra in Cuba. Like, uh, compare that for me, and, and can you still picture it? That, that came uh, very natural to me to be on the stage. It's a, a very early age. The first, the first time I played in public was when I was six years old. My father imported a, sax, uh, a soprano saxophone from Paris when I was five years old. So he, he taught me how to play it. And present me nine months later. What? It was like a giving birth or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then ever since I have been on the stage, it's very natural for me. Paquito, so he, he had a, a saxophone, an alto saxophone imported from, from Paris for you? A soprano saxophone. A soprano saxophone. A corp soprano. I still have that instrument. And you still have it? I still have it. That instrument was stolen in, in Cuba, and a friend of mine uh, uh, returned it to me. He found, he found who had the instrument, and he returned it to me. 
like uh, 20 years ago or something. Oh, my God. Still have, it's still wonderful. How beautiful to be able to recover it. Imagínate, somebody trying to run away with, pa with Paquito de Rivera's saxophone. Uh, he, that man was going to be found. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, maybe that one, the, the, the guy who stole it decided to sell it to me for $500. If I don't have, if I uh, agree that we don't have to talk about it, how it disappears, how it appears again. So I said, okay, then I gave him $500 to a friend of mine, and they got my instrument back. Oh, wow. It was a very happy ending. Oh, that is it. It feels like the guy that catches Barry Bonds' uh, you know, home run ball, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So, was your was your family a musical family? My, my, just my father. My father was a, a, a classical saxophone player. He was the person who imported the French school of the saxophone from the Paris Conservatory in the 40s. Oh, wow. So, I was listening to every type of music in Cuba. When they asked me, are you a jazz musician? You know, I am just a musician. You know, because I was exposed and still today, I am exposed to every type of, of good music. The, the great Duke Ellington said there is only two kinds of music, good music and the other stuff. Right. He, didn't, he didn't define the other stuff, but we all can imagine. <laughs> so, sometimes you just have to turn on the radio <laughs> and you find what Ellington was talking about. <laughs> How, how old were you uh, at, uh, when you first discovered jazz? And, and can you hold up the phone just a little closer to your mouth, Paquito? I appreciate it. Well, I remember that my father came home. I was like uh, maybe seven eight or eight years old. My father came home with the, uh, uh, an LP of Benny Goodman recorded in 1938. Wow. Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall. And then I was impressed by that music that my father called Swing. Putin was the king of Swing. So I said, what is that? I told me, that is jazz, that is Swing. And that, they said, we're putting in Carnegie Hall. When he said Carnegie Hall, I understood carne y frijol. <laughs> Meat and frijoles. <laughs> Meat and beans. <laughs> Carne, carne friola, yo decía, pero ¿qué tiene que ver eso? What, what do you have to do with my mother cook? <laughs> and he explained, he explained to me what the uh, carne friola was. And, uh, and he, uh, I bought my first, first encounter with jazz music. And who who would have imagined that you would have been uh, a, a little kid when you heard Carnegie Hall and you thought, carne friola, that you would be at Carnegie Hall one day performing? Uh, at Carnegie Hall one day celebrating 50 years in this career. <laughs> El mundo da muchas vueltas. <laughs> That's true. The world does spin quite a ways. Let me ask you, you've been called a child prodigy, and I'm sure this happens to you know uh, that handful of, of greats. How did that manifest itself when you were a boy? In other words, I, I'm, I'm remembering the story about Joshua Bell, the violinist, a uh, story his parents tell about pluck, plucking rubber bands you know, uh, that they had stretched. he had stretched over a, a drawer to make a, a sound. I'm curious, like, how did your parents know that you had uh, an affinity for music when you were a boy? Well, I think I have no choice because my, my father was retired from the uh, the army, the military band in the army. Mm. So he he used to practice the tenor saxophone twenty six hours a day. <laughs> he was constantly. I I never saw that instrument in the case. 
So he was always out. The cables I knew. Uh, he was practicing all the time. So they say that they gave me uh, one of those plastic uh, saxophone toys, and I used to, to sit next to him to practicing also. So yeah. that was part of my life in, in, the very, in the very beginning. That's beautiful. Hey, I can just imagine you sitting next to your dad playing the little you with your little plastic saxophone. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell tell me about then that when you first played uh, in front of the the National Theater Orchestra, and you were just ten. Did that begin to change your life then? Like, did people then start looking out for this little uh, this little prod- prodigy? Yeah, well, I, I, I was I, I kept doing the same thing that I did since I. Since I was even smaller than that, so it, it was music was in part of my life in the very beginning. Right, but but it would in become. In the beginning, I I started playing the saxophone and then the clarinet, and writing some music and reading. Uh, my my father uh, showed me also the beautiful uh, path of, of good literature. Also, that's why I become also right. Oh, so he was so he was talking to you about book, book, books and music. Books and music was always part of my life. Books and music. What kind of books did did he did he put in front of you? Oh, every type of biographies, music about uh, uh, books about music and uh, biography about uh, great writers. And, um, even I remember he had a biography of, of Napoleon. Oh, and, and also about the the guy who was the banker of Adolf Hitler. Called or something like that. I used to 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 read Jules Verne, and of course and then Stefan Zweig, and well, uh, I become an addict to to literature. And then years ago, I never dreamed that I was going to be a writer too. Wow, Paquito, part of my life. I want to take a little bit of break because I want to talk to you about being a student of music and then becoming one of the seminal musicians uh, to bring music, uh, the jazz form, the musical Latin jazz form. Uh, But we're going to take a little break uh, and come back with Paquito de Rivera. We're back on Sundial on WLRN. This is Carlos Frias. And our guest today is Paquito de Rivera, the Cuban-born musician who went on to become a Grammy winner and changed Latin sounds, uh, merging them with classical music. Paquito, um, we were talking uh, just before the break about becoming a student of music. So early on, as, as early as 10, you were you played in front of the, the Cuban, Cuban National Theater uh, Orchestra. And tell me about those, because you spend the next 20 years in Cuba. Talk to me a little, a little bit about what your life was like then as, you know, re- really in the next year after you performed, uh, Fidel Castro comes into power and Cuba changes a lot. Well, it was very, <clears throat> was very complicated because uh, my father had the idea to speak to the party conservatory in the future. But the future could change a lot when, when Castro came into power. Mm. So everything went, uh, I don't know, off. Totally, uh, all the plans were changed. And uh, I, I keep I went to the to the Marianao Conservatory. Marianao is a, is a, is a neighborhood in, in the Havana province, and 
Then I started there with some of the friends of my father, and I, I keep practicing and, and studying. I am rejoicing until I, uh, I entered the the this the service militar obligatory, the army. Oh, you did. You were again, again. you were conscripted to serve in the army then. Oh yeah, like two years. I wrote a book called My Sax Life. I saw that. I saw it. <laughs> what's the What's the title in Spanish? The The title in Spanish is just as good. Mi vida sexual. Mi vida sexual. I'll let the audience take take what they get from that. It was great. So you yeah. wrote about those the two idea, years the, in the army. The, the 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 idea of the title of that book was by Nat Sediak, that guy who was the the, uh, the person who created the Miami Film Festival. Oh right, Nat Sediak, who created the Miami Film Festival, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his idea. You 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 just put all, all those all those stories in, in a in a volume, and the people will love to to read your your sax your your sax life. <laughs> say, wow, that's a great that's a great title. That is a great. Together there, you, you know that Woody Allen says that that, that uh, comedy is is tragedy plus time. Ah, uh, right. That's what it's all about, you know. Uh, in, in the book, I write in a very humor, humorous way what had been my life in the army. It uh, was not funny in those days. was not funny, but I was, I was so so young that uh, we made fun of every, everything there. And we, we spent a lot of time playing music in the army, too. Oh, that, uh, curious. So you were still able to, to play while you were in the army? Yes, because I, I went to, to the army uh, band. Like my father. Oh, you were in the army band. What what was that like? Were there other notable musicians in it, or, or just kind of hobbyists? Oh yes, so, some of the best uh, uh, young Cuban musicians of the day were 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 absorbed into that band. Uh, any... La banda, la banda is called La Banda del Estado Mayor General. La Banda del Estado Mayor General. Uh, any names that we recognize uh, that were in there with you, or or through their time? In that time, no, some symphonic players, and you know, from the symphony, and uh, uh, very young students were very, very brilliant. You know, the, the best musicians in those days, uh, were young, the, the were uh, absorbed in, the, in that band. Wow. So you you come out after two years, and you're able to to still pursue this passion. And I'm very curious about this idea that that Cuba eventually labeled jazz music the the music of the enemy, la música de los imperialistas, you know? Um, yeah. What was that like? I mean, to have like an art form that, that you clearly have mastered and fall in love with and, and continue to develop, to be labeled that way? You know, that, that happened in, in all, all countries that, that was uh, ruled by, by communist uh, party members. That happened. Milan Kundera, the, the Czechoslovakian uh, order, he talks about that in, in many of his books. Jazz music is imperialist music. It was very hard for us, you know, to play jazz music around. We have to to go around hiding the the, uh, the, the LPs, you know, and, and listening to to uh, the radio show of Willis Conover, you know, from the Voice of America. Uh-huh. It was very hard. And you know what happened now? Now they have a jazz festival down there because that produced dollars for them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a contradiction, but that, that's the way it is. You know. 
what was it about jazz music you think that 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 was music that riled them and and that I guess gave you a little bit of energy, right? Gave you a little bit of a desire to create more of it. Yeah, you know what happened? Jazz, jazz music is, is a means freedom. Mm. Jazz is a, the best representation of freedom and democracy. And dictatorship don't like that. They are afraid of that. Hitler, he wrote some declaration against jazz music. He called the the, the American Negro music, which is he was right. <laughs> but but he almost forbid. They they uh, they tried to limit. And you the did the amount, of, the amount of jazz that you use in German music, something very stupid. But well, that's the way it is. Dictatorship don't like jazz, jazz musicians, and I don't blame them. We are the pain in the neck, you know. <laughs> yeah, you you doubled down on it. You created a brand, a band called Irakere. Which went on to win uh, a Grammy in 1979. As as a matter of fact, we have a little music from this period uh, with Irakere. Uh, you mind if we stop? We we play a little bit of it here. Oh yeah, well, really, that was the creation of Chucho Valdez and Oscar Valdez, the singer of Irakere, and they invite me to be part of that band. I am a founder member. But they created them. Chucho was the person who created that band. Chucho Valdez, another big name in, in Cuban music and Cuban jazz music. Let's let's uh, let's uh, let the audience listen to a little bit of Iraquere. Go for it. That is Iraquere, and we're talking with uh, Paquito de Rivera about his career and his life in music. Paquito, winning that Latin, I mean, I'm sorry, winning that Grammy in 1979, how did that change your life? First of all, we didn't know anything about the Grammy Award. It was a surprise for us. I think uh, you won a Grammy. I said, what? What the hell is that? So they they explained for us, what is about and how, uh, how important was uh, to win a Grammy and all that was a surprise, but a very, a very happy surprise. Amazing! So you didn't, you didn't, you weren't even too sure what a Grammy was, much less how you had won one. <laughs> no, we didn't know. We recorded that between Carnegie Hall and and the Montreux Festival in Switzerland. Because you were touring, right, uh, Iraquere and. Uh, a band kind of sponsored by Cuba had was touring you around Europe and what have you, right? Over the next couple of years. Yeah, we went to. It was really just, just Switzerland. We went to Switzerland and then at the York Carnegie Hall, or vice versa. I don't remember that happened like forty-three years ago. But uh, yeah, was was uh, in those days CBS had the roast that they have one fantastic. People like Stan Getz, Mena Ferguson, Woody Show, Rita Coolidge, everybody was in that company. And it was the first time that uh, a Cuban uh, band joined, joined uh, a, 
a, a major company like that, CBS. And that happened because DC Gillespie and Stan Guest, they went to Havana in a cruise, in a jazz cruise, and they landed in the port of Havana. Nobody knows anything. Nobody knew anything. They didn't say anything in the newspaper. In the newspaper in those days, they, all the talk was about Castro and his henchmen. So, this uh, Gillespie came back to New York talking about us, what he saw was there. Now, Dizzy Gillespie became a really important kind of like a recruiter. Uh, he was a band leader and a, obviously a, a Hall of Fame trumpet player. Uh, wh- how did he help change your life? Because he kind of became a mentor to you in, in ways, right? Yeah, he was, yeah, he became a very good friend and a mentor to us. And he was very important in my career. And then Dizzy came here and, and went directly to CBS with Stan Getz and talked to Bruce Lundvold who was the president of that company in those days. I said, you have to go to Cuba and see these guys going like blah, blah, blah. So the guy took a plane there, the private plane. Wow. And uh, he went to the Ministry of Culture and and, and, and talked about it. But they, they saw that and they, they wanted to sign the, uh, the the group to, the, to CBS, Columbia Broadcasting. I mean, uh, Colombia, uh, Colombia, yeah, yeah, and that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> that changed our life for, 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 for you know, forever. Right. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Paquito de la Rivera, the Cuban-born musician, Grammy winner, uh, jazz musical legend. Uh, if you missed any part of our conversation, all Sundown episodes are available on our daily podcast. So tell me, when did you start thinking about leaving Cuba? Because your whole career has really, when you look back on time, you've you spent uh, you made your name there, but but you've grown your your talent and your fame out here. What what made you start thinking about leaving, and how did that come oh, across? It was complicated. It was very complicated. Always I wanted to do since even since I was a kid, uh, I dreamed to be a musician in New York City. Oh wow! All my life. All my life, I wanted to be a musician in New York City, but not in this condition. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, to escape from my own home. But I had to do it. And in, in 1980, doing a tour in Europe, I, I didn't, I didn't play not even the first concert in in, in the airport in the Madrid airport during uh, the initial tour with Irakere, I asked for political asylum. Wow. Then I, I I stayed in Madrid for six months. My mother was already living in New York City, so he went to the to the uh, American Embassy and claimed myself. Wow. So uh, and, had you been planning that, or had you been planning that, or that did that happen kind of on a whim? Like this is this is my moment. No, 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 no. That was the days of, of the uh, embassy. Peruvian embassy. Mm. Do you remember that thing? Yeah, where people the ran to the, of, they crowded to the Peruvian embassy to, to claim asylum uh, in in uh, in Cuba itself. Twenty five thousand people in <laughs> yeah. in the patio. That was tremendous. I said, no, I I have to leave this country. I cannot live here anymore. Oh, so wow. I took that plane with, with the entire band, and I asked, I I, I stayed in Madrid for six months. I escaped there. Did you did you say goodbye to anyone? Did you did you say goodbye to your father and knowing that maybe that's 
Last time you were going to see him for a while? No, my father was here already with my mother. Oh, your father and my little sister. Yeah. And you don't want to mention to nobody because it's, it's dangerous for them to know. Right. So I had, to, I, I had to do it by myself. We had to wait like for six or eight hours in the airport until the uh, waiting for the connection fly going to Sweden to, to Sweden to Stockholm. Then I had to pretend that I was uh, waiting for that flight and all that. And then when the flight, uh, when they called the flight, I escaped through the, the different door. Wow. All that is in that that that, uh, that book, my sack life. Yeah, I'm scared to read that book on the bus. People are going to be like, "What are you reading over there?" I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. So you were the last one to leave Cuba of your of your immediate nuclear family. Well, yeah, because my 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 brother, two hours after, two hours after I took that plane, he was picked up by a boat in Mariel, that that famous Mariel boat lift. Wow, that was happening yeah, right well, right well, around well, the same well, time. Well, Amazing. Around the same time, the situation was horrible. The government was attacking people with, with sticks and even golf clubs, beating people and all that. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Then my, my, uh, we, we, we left at the same time, almost. Mm-hmm. Amazing, yeah. While he was while he was coming over on the Mariel boat lift, you were you were defecting uh, two hours earlier in in Spain. <laughs> Tell me about Incredible, some of. Yeah. I'm very curious about some of your musical influences. Can you talk about that a little bit? Someone who who shaped Paquito de Rivera. Was well, a combination of many things. First, my my father, who, who I said before, he practiced all the time in tenor saxophone, and then uh, people like Benny Goodman. You know that that. That LP of Benny Goodman and Carnegie Hall. Mm. Then later, later on, of course, Charlie Parker. Charlie Parker is a main influence in, in my career, you know. Charlie Parker with, with Dizzy Gillespie. I would never dream that I was going to be uh, a, a member of, uh, of the Dizzy Gillespie uh, big band. Uh, I don't know, 40 years later. That's amazing. Tell how to tell me about that. What was that experience like when you when you find yourself playing alongside these musicians that that you grew up idolizing, and then you start creating together? You know, my father, my mother predicted that. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, she she used to say, one of these days you will be playing with all those guys that you you idolize now. <laughs> And at first you're thinking of that. That's a mom talking, but here you are. Do there, there you were doing it. I will see you play with all those guys that you idolize now. I say, wow, que más puedo yo? Of course I would love to do that, but no, no, I don't think so. I just play with the with the with the recordings and all that, and that happened. Mi mamá. <laughs> your, mo- your mom was in touch with the with her with her uh, santeria or her brujeria side. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> she, she never practiced that. I saw her doing it, but I guess that he was, she was doing it because you know that what she predicted it happened. <laughs> you know, I see in videos where you you're very playful with the audience. You're you're really playful. You're funny with them. Were your were your parents like that? Who was? Who was the other big jokester and 
and you know that big personality in your family was your mom or your dad like that both of them both, both. of them my, my father was a practical joker oh really like what what kind of things would your oh. dad do oh yeah yeah he was a practical joker he, he, he used to do a practical joke to his friends and all that all, all the time all the time and, and then on the other on the other side he was a very serious person a very serious educator and I saw uh, when I used to do my my uh, my, my joke to others, uh, and my father got mad at me. His friend used to say, "Tito, you were even worse than that kid." <laughs> you don't remember who. I... <laughs> and my mother and my mother has also a great sense of humor. He was a seamstress. Your mom was a seamstress in in Cuba. Uh, yeah. What did you it... used to? Ella cosía, cosía muy bonito, Oh, all women's clothing should make. What What did it mean for your parents to be able to? I mean, to really experience you uh, be embraced by the world since they were living in New York and New York City, and and you you know came over young enough to to be able to really exploit your talent and and spread it throughout the world. What was it like for them to watch that? Well, um, uh, my, my my father uh, he didn't have the chance to really enjoy that success that belonged all to him. He, he, he died when I was at the beginning of my career here. But my but my, my mother enjoyed, you know, once I have the, uh, I dedicated a, uh, a show to her at Carnegie Hall. When I played there, a celebration of my 15th anniversary, she was in a, in un palco, you say that, in, in one of those, uh, in, in the presidential box. And we were playing with Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, so, my goodness. Her, uh, fantastic, yeah. What what was that like for you to step out on stage with Yo Yo Ma and knowing that your mom has box seats at Carnegie Hall for this for this kid in you know that that started out in Marianao you know Marianao Cuba. <laughs> well, it was a great emotion, you know. It was something uh, I I had the chance to tell her, "You were right, man. You were right. Thank you for believing this shit." <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back and talk more with you about uh, how your life in music and how that musical talent developed, but we're going to take a little break. Uh, our guest today is Paquito de Rivera, the Cuban-born musician who went on to fuse Latin and classical music and change music. We'll be back in just a minute. On... We're back on Sundial on WORN. I'm Carlos Frias, and our guest today is Paquito de Rivera, the great Cuban musician and saxophone player. Uh, Paquito, you are then able to create this life here in the States where you start creating these cre these incredible collaborations. You start playing with musicians and, and exploring your own talent. Tell me about um, what was in, like what was interesting to you next. Like, what is the thing? How, how were you able to develop uh, outside of Cuba? And uh, what were some of the things that you were interested in, in developing? I have been a very eclectic person all my life. Maybe because I am a Gemini. I, I, I get <laughs> boring or doing the same thing every day. So I love uh, playing, first of all, jazz music that I love, but I love also Brazilian music, and I love classical stuff. And then here I have been able to, to develop my career as a jazz musician, as a classical composer, as a writer, I have been doing many things, and that is what I like doing. So I, I have had the chance to, to associate with people that do all those different uh, 
uh, styles of music, and I am happy with that. That is what I wanted to do. I don't want to do the same thing every day. I don't like cooking or eating the same thing every day. <laughs> I, I love I, I love beans and rice, but I, I, I like also uh, uh, Thai, Thai food and uh, and Chinese cuisine and all that. Same <laughs> with music. And and you did something interesting, which is you really you respect and you love classical music, and then you try you began to to fuse classical and Latin and adding flavors of each to the other. What how was that received, and and what interested uh, you about that? Sometimes it's confusing for the people, but they love the confusion. <laughs> <laughs> so so they, they 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 used to say you are a jazz musician. Say, no, I am just a musician. You you pay me, I play. You don't pay me, I play anyway because it's not it's going to be boring at all. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's all about doing the art of doing music. It doesn't matter what kind of music you want, is that the, the great Duke Ellington say there is only two kind of music: good music and the other stuff. <laughs> so I try to avoid the other stuff. And tell me about your interest in classical music because you you composed it. And I there was one year uh, I want to say it's 2011 where you won a Grammy both for for a Latin album and for classical composition. Correct? Yes, uh, in that I won a Grammy with a wonderful group called the New York Voices. It's, uh, the, the name of the CD is Brazilian Dreams. And this and the same in the same event I won. I Grammy for, for my recording of uh, like story of the soldat, the story of, of, of the soldier by Igor Stravinsky, a very hard piece written uh, by the Russian composer for eleven instruments. So I think the, the the only person who did that before was Winter Massad. Wow, who, who won a Grammy in in the in the jazz division and also in the, in the in the, in the jazz division and the classical division. And and what did that mean to you? Like, what do you think that said to the world at that point? I mean, uh, that that you're creating in these two art forms. That, that means that music is music. Hmm. And, and, and this is the when you, when you know about different styles, you you are, you become a better musician. It is a it is a fine uh, line with the right specialization and limitation. Mm. So people say, I am a specialist. No, you are very limited. That is what you are. <laughs> oh. so, so that was this. I think that when, when you are curious about all the other types of music, you become a good music, a better musician. That is the case of Winston Marsalis or G. Korea, for example. People that are interested in, 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 in other types of music that you, you apply to what you're doing. And you become a better musician, and the, and the telephone rings more. <laughs> exactly the the be, the best musician is a working musician. I guess that helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did the you have a? The one who can pay the rent. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it's just a hobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. T- tell me about um, how you came to classical music. How do you, uh, who who introduced that into your life? Was that also your father? My father was a classical musician. He never had the ability to improvise. Mm. Oh, so that's what he loved about jazz music. Yeah, that, that, that is what he thought. I think anyone can improvise. But he was a little, uh, 
he was afraid of that. But he introduced me to the music of Benny Goodman and Charlie Parker. And all that. So uh, I was I didn't know the difference you know, one type of music or another type of music. You know. For me, it was just that music with different characteristics. So how did he res- how did he respond to that then seeing you know he was a very straight laced classical musician and then seeing you improvise and embrace this uh, kind of this jazz lifestyle and jazz music? It's, it's an advantage when you are available to to improvise. It's an advantage because you can uh, you can create your own thing even even when when there is something that are written. So. You can play what is written and then play something else on top of what is written already. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> exactly, and that's that's the big part of it, right? Is you always sound like you're having a great time. Yeah, it's a lot of fun if you know what you're doing. You know. <laughs> you know, I've heard you talk about a lot of the folks that influenced you. Have you thought about the folks that you have influenced? Have Have there been young musicians that have come to you and say, and and wanted to create with you? You mentioned Yo Yo Ma. Yo Yo, yeah. yeah. No, yo, yo, uh, we we play together. We have a lot of fun playing together. We we uh, recently, a couple of months ago, we we inaugural premiere with, with the National Symphony Orchestra a piece that I wrote for him. And the, originally it was called the the, the Rice and Beans Concerto. <laughs> I love that for for clarinet, cello, and orchestra. And, and that was his idea. One day I was in, in Kennedy Center and a guy. Was the head of some department there approached me and said, "Still, you want to write the the Rice and Peace Concerto?" I said, "I don't know what the hell you're talking about." He said, "Well, you you must say that you want to write that." That was a joke. <laughs> yeah. What about he took it seriously? You don't want to do it? Yeah, I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> and that so did, I, and I, that became that. And that was the so most fun because they used some some elements of Chinese music. You you. No, you're Chinese or Chinese roots, and, and then I, I use some elements of Cuban music also and Brazilian music, the music or jazz, of course, and they put together in a, a symphony orchestra, and that was very successful. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, Chinese Cuban food is 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 good, so uh, Chinese Chinese Cuban uh, music, I'm sure, is 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 the same. How, what is that yeah, like, you know, to be? Like- able- <laughs> what is that like to be able to still experiment and still create? Um, and and still collaborate. Oh, this is part of the deal, you know. When you are able to, to communicate with others, the great singer Carmen McRae, she told me something that is is so true. She told me it's more important. Sometimes it's more important to listen than to play. Mm. You have to get you to listen to others. What others have to say. And if you if, if you don't have nothing to say, say nothing. That's it. They're going to pay you anymore. I mean, any anyway. So <laughs> listening is important, and then say something if you have something to say. And then I apply that in life all the time. <laughs> it's important. The, 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 the important the notes that are, that are more important are not the notes that you play, but the notes that you don't play. Those are the good ones. <laughs> The editing, the self-editing. Yeah, yeah, the self-editing, that's what it is. You know, can you talk to me a little bit about what you still want to do? 
Like, I mean, someone who loves and is, has such a thirst and hunger for music, what are some of the things out there that you haven't had a chance to do that you would love to still do? Well, anything, you know, so many things. Uh, I, I love what I do. Every time I receive, I receive a commission, you know, I, I just finished a commission for a woodwind quintet called Imani Wings. And at the same time, I receive another commission to write a piece for solo saxophone on a company solo saxophone. Wow. So every day, every day I do something different. So I have done so many things and I still I have people propose me to do things that I never thought I was going to do. It. So I, I keep trying. <laughs> you, you know, I have a friend who is a bass player called Ron McClure. He's really funny. And he say, I am trisexual. I say, what do you mean? You have to be, uh, you mean, you mean the bisexual, you mean bisexual, you know, trisexual, I try anything. <laughs> is, <laughs> is there still an art form that you want to try? Like, do you, do you want to like, uh, right along that vein? Like, I, I mean, do you want to perform with Madonna? Can we get Madonna and Paquito de Rivera together? I, I'm sure your friend yeah, yeah. Will, will want in on that, on that, uh, on that set as well. Uh, are, I, I never met Madonna, but she's a very talented person. Are, are there? Is some of that? Uh, do you have any interest in that? In like those pop culture crossovers and stuff? No, only with Gloria Stefan. We, we, I recorded in a, in a in a CD. The first one that we make that something in Mi Tierra. Mi Tierra. You played on that album. I played on that album. Yeah. That's a wonderful song. I I record with Bebo and Bebo Valdez and Cigala. I play the title cut of Lágrima Negra that they saw a million albums. Wow. So that, I mean, what a varied career to be able to to really move between all those genres and contribute in different ways. Because the main thing, the most important thing is to listen. Mm. Before playing any type of music, you have to listen first more important to listen then you assimilate and if you have something to say you say if not don't say nothing and music is like that too deciding when you're going to come in and not and what have you right yeah listen first and then you you do your statement and and folks should know. I mean, you're still playing. You you recently played at the Arts Center with Chucho Valdez, uh, who was the the creator of Irakere. Um, yeah. We have we have some music uh, from that, and I would love to to play a little bit of it uh, to give our folks a, a little bit of that taste. So um, we're gonna play a little music now of uh, Chucho Valdez uh, with uh, oh, Paquito Rivera.
That is Paquito de Rivera from the album I Missed You Too. You performed recently with Chucho Valdez at uh, the Art Center. I sold out Art Center, by the way. What is that like for you to, to go out to a place and still see it shoulder to shoulder and playing in front of a live audience like that? Well, it was another part. That, that's, a, that's a wonderful venue, the Ice Center. A lovely oh, venue. Uh, yeah, just catty corner from our studios. If you look out the window, you can see it from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great place there to play. And <clears throat> later on, I played there with the, with the uh, Venezuelan dance group also called uh, uh, America Viva. And uh, that, that's, that, that's the magic of doing different things, you know. Uh, actually, that recording that you play, may, may, maybe the sound the sound guy make a mistake. That is an album called. Uh, uh, I, I, I won a Grammy with that. With Carlo Francesi wrote that uh, the music for that album, and that is a, is a piece that I wrote. The the, the other album called uh, uh, I Miss You uh, I Miss You Too was 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 in a small group, and the the piece I Miss You. Is dedicated to Chucho because we didn't play together for 43 years. Oh wow! What a great yeah, title! What a great fun. title! So I miss you too, and 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 him playing together. Wow, that that must have been quite a thing to reunite after 42 years. Los dos compadres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was. You know, the communist system. They 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 create the system to, to divide. You know, they, they all they create is division, moral division you know, between friends and family and all that. But suddenly, finally, Chucho had to leave with uh, our country. He cannot come back. So we decided to to, uh, to play together again. They didn't like it very much. You know, it's part of their life. But you liked it, and that's what matters. Uh, we are speaking to Paquito de Rivera, uh, pa, um, the great Latin Cuban jazz musician. And you recently donated uh, your archives to the um, the Cuban Heritage Collection at the University of Miami. Uh, what kind of things can we find in there that are available to folks? Oh, everything. I, I don't. I don't remember the entire uh, the entire catalog, but there is some original compositions. You know, the, the original papers that I wrote. Uh, pictures, pictures with, with with my my first uh, my first performance in public. The second performance in public with the with the Riverside Orchestra. Uh, Concert with Leo Brown and the National Symphony Orchestra. Everything, teachers are, and recording with uh, with Dizzy Gillespie and with Stan Getz and with David Tambram and well, a bunch of things. I decided to donate that to the to the uh, Cuban archives there because I I have nothing to do with that anymore. So I think that's good for the students to know about not only about me but about all the people that have been around me all these years, she more than fifty years. People can look at that and, and are able to kind of track your career with some of those, with some of those archival gifts of yours. I hope they can they can uh, take advantage of that because there are lots of interesting stuff in that collection. Well, there has been a lot of interesting stuff in this conversation. Uh, today we've been speaking with Paquito de Rivera, the great jazz and Latin musician who's been so gracious with his time. Paquito, thank you so much for talking with us today. I apologize for my, my, my sore you know. But, uh, you don't have to I, apologize I, for anything, senor. <laughs> okay, hope to, hope to meet you personally very soon. Absolutely. 
we're going to take you out with a little music from Paquito de Rivera. And that's Sundown for Thursday, January 26. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Our engagement editor is Katie Lepre-Cohen. Our digital editor is Mateo Sanchez. Katie Munoz is our interim managing editor. And our senior news editor is Jessica Bakeman. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundown's engineer. Our usual theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo. And if you missed any part of this conversation, you can find it on your favorite podcast app. Just search for WLRN Sundial. Coming up next week on the program, we're joined by Colombian-American writer Patricia Engel. Her new book, The Faraway World, is a collection of harrowing, intensely personal short stories set in the Americas, from Miami to Cuba to Colombia, and they're all linked by themes of migration, sacrifice, and moral compromise. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.